This is Eastern Shore Issues, the podcast about Eastern Shore Issues. Hi, um, this is the first interview of the, what I'm calling the Shore Issues podcast, and I'm here with um, journalist Jeremy Cox. Um, could you introduce yourself, please? Oh, sure. Brian's good to hear. Good to be here. Um, my name is Jeremy Cox. Um, I'm a reporter with the Chesapeake Bay Journal, which is a nonprofit independent uh, newspaper that comes out once a month, but we have a website that's updated regularly. And I also host their podcast, uh, which is called Chesapeake Uncharted. So there's there's my plug. <laughs> great, great. Well, everyone should follow that immediately. I will as well. Um, yeah, so I, I read your article on Bay Journal this morning, and could you, you tell, tell us about what's going on with the chicken farms on the Eastern Shore? Mm-hmm. Well, sure. So the Environmental Integrity Project is an uh, environmental group based out of D.C., and you know, they've made it one of their missions in recent years to you know, un- uncover, uh, let's say, negative things about the uh, the poultry industry here on the Eastern shore. And I, I'm, I'm being a little flip when I say negative things they, they've been really stepping in as sort of a, a watchdog NGO. And, you know, in order to put pressure on, I, I would say lawmakers, policymakers uh, to affect change in that, in that industry. So what, what's new here is environmental integrity project uh, got this trove of uh, public records from Maryland Department of the Environment and the uh, Agricultural Department as well. And sort of the centerpiece is these uh, inspection reports that are done annually at poultry farms, the 500 plus poultry farms that are done around here, and found out that violations are not uncommon, but the penalties, the fines are rather uncommon. So they're using that to say, hey, you know, they're, as the title of the report says, turning a blind eye to chicken. They're letting this industry get away with polluting their land and the local waterways and the Chesapeake Bay. And they're not, you know, doing the job they need to do, basically, to clean things up. Right. When, when you use the word uncommon about the fines, um, what uncommon in that they're high or uncommon that they're low? And of those, only uh, eight fines and four collected. Right. Yeah. And I was looking at the uh, EIP report here. It says um, these are these are really slap on the wrist type fines. These are like a couple thousand dollars for um, it says total fines collected in 2019, 6,000. Um, 2250 mm-hmm. in 2020 um zero dollars in 2021 and, and in 2018 as well right um yeah so the fines really seem to be like extra low for kind of systemic um, um breaking of uh environmental regulation uh laws yeah i mean that's how eip would like to you know present this picture here uh, as an industry that is kind of being let off the hook um and, but, you know, it should be said that, you know, in context, it's this is not uncommon, right, that industries and in other sectors and other jurisdictions, it, it's really rare to see heavy fines given out uh, for any kind of industrial pollution, you know, even for ones that 
sort of seem galling, you know, you'll in factories and chemical pol pollution and that sort of thing. And then, you know, maybe a few grand. And, and so that's why, you know, for a lot of these entities, it's almost cheaper to, well, it is cheaper to uh, pollute and then pay the fine than it is to fix the problem that caused the pollution in the first place. Um, but I think these are a little bit different than we're not talking necessarily about like huge corporations. Uh, you know, some of these are, you know, owned by investor groups, but many of these farms are uh, mom and pop. And so I, I think there's a real effort by uh, the regulatory system to try to get them to move toward compliance and help them to that instead of coming out, you know, with a stick, uh, you know, in the first place and uh, maybe creating that adversarial uh, atmosphere. So that's uh, that's kind of what we have going on here in Maryland. Right. And the EIP is kind of serving as that NGO type whistleblower mm -hmm. um, group to bring attention to these violations. Yeah. Yeah. So they're coming in and saying, look, you know, uh, these this is not enough if it were enough these fines uh the these citations would dry up and uh the citations have have been going down and so the industry is saying you know look that's proof positive right there that the system is working um but the you know eip says well you factor in the you factor in the covid and everything else and this is nowhere near enough of an effect to, to make that uh claim so Right, and the the Delmarva the Delmarva Chicken Association is that the um, yeah 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 the DCA we'll call it um, seems seems to be saying that we have reduced um, you know our our pollution runoff. Um, um, sorry, well, what were their other claims um, to re to rebuttal the EIP's report? I forgot. Um, Oh, yeah. writing the ticket, giving the $100 fine is not solving the bigger issues of making sure people are driving safe through the area. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it, it kind of like a little bit self-admitting that um, they're okay with paying fines or that they want more regulation for themselves. I don't, I don't know how, how seriously that means they're yeah. taking the issue. Um, yeah. They're saying that, you know, just because people, I mean, you know, cops are always writing tickets for speeding and yet, you know, speeding still occurs. I think that that's their point is that you can find people all day, but that's not going to solve the problem. What does solve the problem is what, what, what uh, they like to see the state doing, which is that compliance assistance. You know, you have these farmers, again, this is what DCA would say. You have these farmers who do care about the land and sometimes they're going to make you know, sometimes a mistake is going to come up. There's going to be an issue with, of non-compliance of, uh, you know, some uh, paperwork issues or some, uh, you know, incorrect, uh, you know, storage of dead birds or something like that. And, you know, yeah, you could sit and as a regulatory agency, write fines and, uh, you know, wipe your hands of it and walk away. But does that really solve the problem? And so they'll say, no. Don't write the fine, help them, you know, point out the problem, help them get to where they need to be. And, uh, you know, uh, that farmer then is, uh, you know, it's not hurting their livelihood anyway. I mean, that, that's obviously DCA's number one thing is they want to ensure the financial viability of, uh, you know, everyone up and down this supply chain. Right, right. Um, so for, for some greater context, can you... Um 
tell us how big the industry um, is? Are you able to like um, set up any any to give us context as, as to the size of the of the poultry industry? Um, so, are are these 182 poultry farms on um, the Eastern Shore? Or because um, it, it looks yeah, like it so is. they yeah, pretty much all of them. I mean, if there's any on the Western Shore, it's a pretty negligible amount. Um, so here on Delmarva, so this is not just Maryland, but it includes uh, Delaware and uh, Accomack County in Virginia. Uh, each year we're looking at, um, I need to make that bigger, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so each year uh, we're looking at about 605 million chickens produced. Uh, on the peninsula, the tri-state area, and that uh, equates to uh, 4.3 billion uh, pounds of chickens, um, you know, coming from this area. Uh, nationwide, that, that's 57 billion um, pounds of uh, chickens. So you can see that's, um, you know, yeah, like you said, around 7, 8% of all uh, broiler chickens in the country are produced right here. We're a pretty small area, so I know seven, eight percent doesn't sound like very much, but remember, I mean, you know, Delmarva is, uh, we're talking about an area that's maybe 60 miles long and at most 30 miles wide. So, uh, yeah. we, we pack, we pack a punch. Yeah, right. So, so, so having said that, um, it, it seems to be where the majority of the poultry farms are concentrated are on the interior counties like Caroline and, um, <laughs> Queen Anne's, um, Dorchester, Kent. It seems to be where the majority yeah. of this stuff is concentrated. Yeah, there is definitely there's a there's a few focal points, and absolutely uh, northern Dorchester, Talbot, uh, Queen Anne's County, and the inland portion, Caroline County. Uh, absolutely uh, a big a big central part of this. Uh, I like to say the broiler belt. <laughs> oh right, that's I guess country sure. like that. Yeah. Um, what what type of what type of um, violations are we talking about? Um, what what are, the, what are the claims the EIP is making? You know they run the they run the gamut. Um, uh, it really breaks down to two main things and kind of in concert with with each other. So if you find a record keeping violation, that was by far the most common one. Like you know eighty odd percent or right. more had like to do the, with the that paperwork. Is paperwork not, not, not that tight, right? Right, but it also. Uh, would happen in concert with some sort of waste uh, disposal, like actual, um, you know, tangible violation like that. So, like I said, things like uh, finding too much manure on the, uh, the the pavement in front of a chicken house, or you know, like I said, improperly stored uh, manure or dead birds or something like that. Uh, and that was, you know, something like sixty percent of all the cases had that. So you usually had those two things kind of working hand in hand uh, far, as far as this, as I said, this trove of document goes. Right. Okay. Um, wh what type of effects can, you know, um, you know, waterways, but um, groundwater as well, perhaps, what type of like environmental effects um, can happen as a result of mm -hmm. contamination of uh, the phosphorus or any any of the um, pathogens that are contained in um, chicken manure. Yeah, so uh, I think the report really tries uh, really hard, uh, particularly this the companion report that kind of deals more with uh, the waterway situation. They try really hard to kind of make this connection between these violations and 
the water quality um, problems that we have here on the eastern shore. And I, it's, I think it's true to a large extent. I'm not sure if it's as true as they would like that argument to be. It, it, just because it's difficult to prove, you know, okay, we yeah, have, of course, of course, we have, yeah, right, phosphorus and nutrients in this water. Now, where did it come from? And okay, we do have, there's, there's certainly a correlation. Um, we have a lot of chicken farms. So absolutely, I think everyone agrees that that plays a huge role in it. But to say that this violation or this particular trend in violations is therefore causing some decrease in tributary water quality, that, that's a really, that, that's a lot more difficult to, uh, you know, to pack into a science, you know, scientifically speaking, I think narr like narrative wise. Yeah. I mean, it sounds right, but like, uh, from a scientific perspective, it's, it's a lot harder thing. Yeah. To I understand it's say. hard to directly yeah. measure that type of thing. Um, and to pick apart all the independent factors that contribute to pollution. I, I think, I think what the larger thing here that this says and why I think it was a story nonetheless is because, um, because we do agree. We do, the science does agree that the proliferation of chicken farms here is, is making it, uh, that much more of a challenge to clean up these waterways you know if we're uh the number of farms is not increasing but the total uh you know weight of chickens that are produced here are growing because they're uh you know the chickens themselves are engineered to be bigger um and so you're really fighting headwinds if you're trying to then you know decrease nitrogen and in particular phosphorus uh from local waterways because that manure has got to go somewhere and uh, so it isn't so much what happens inside the chicken houses, right? That's under a roof and there's walls and everything. It's what happens when those chicken houses inevitably have to be cleaned out. And then what do you do with the manure? Well, circle of life, put it on the land so that you can grow more corn and soybeans so that you can grow more chickens. But um, how much is too much? And that's what we've seen here is, is too much phosphorus in particular, and therefore, um, the soil can't absorb it and it washes away in heavy rains into ditches and streams and eventually the bay. So um, I, that's what I think the larger story is here. Yeah, this is part and parcel of what we've seen that we're trying to get a handle on this industry from, you know, from a modeling standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, and then here's the enforcement part. And while it may be difficult to draw that line directly to water pollution, it's certainly, there's certainly something, there is a there there, as we like to say. Right. Well, it certainly um, should be impetus to warrant like a further investigation by actual scientists, perhaps, or people who do this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. And because, like I said, we know uh, what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so right, we, we just you just mentioned um, the agricultural use of of chicken manure. Could you talk about that for a minute? Right. So, chicken manure is uh, is obviously a byproduct of raising chickens. Okay, uh, they call it chicken litter. It's kind of a combination of the little you know wood shavings and and other material, and but mainly uh, you know the, the chicken droppings are in there. And so you got to do something with that over time. You can have a, you know, flocks over a certain amount of time, even years, but eventually you've got to, you know, muck out your, your chicken farm. So uh, historically what has happened is the farmers would just, hey, this is great. I got free fertilizer right here. So they would spread it on their own farms, usually 
chicken farms uh, have adjoining uh, corn and soybean operations. And so, boom, there you go. Put the manure right on the farm. It does a fantastic job at, uh, you know, as a fertilizer. You know, you really don't even need to add much of anything from the commercial side. Uh, so what happened over a number of years of that practice was uh, you kind of think of the farmland, the soil as a sponge. You fill up a sponge with water, it does a great job for a while, but then eventually it can't hold any more water. So you think of that sponge as soil now and that water is phosphorus. Hmm. Uh, that sponge can no longer hold the phosphorus. So it just leaches into the groundwater or it flushes off in the nearest rain, you know, if it happens to have been recently applied. Uh, goes into the ditches and streams. Either way, it's heading toward the bay. And um, so that's what we have. We have farms here, some of which on the shore where you could go four decades, 40 years without applying any more phosphorus and they would raise 40 years worth of corn and soybeans. Uh, you wouldn't have to add any to it. I mean, that's, um, uh, that's not to say you wouldn't have to add other fertilizer type components, but uh, Many places you can add it and many places you can't. So that's why we have this cost sharing program with uh, where we, you and I as taxpayers help subsidize the cost of transporting this manure to places on the shore and even as far as Pennsylvania uh, and Virginia uh, to take it where they need it. You know, a popular place is uh, the mushroom farms in uh, Pennsylvania. You know, they basically just grow in the dark and, you know, manure. <laughs> and uh, Okay. So that's that's where a lot of our manure goes. So next time you eat a mushroom, thank a uh, Delmarva chicken for that. <laughs> so yeah, it seems that um, okay. So what you're saying about it is that the chicken manure is kind of like a fertilizer superfood for mm -hmm. soybeans and and crops. Yeah, yeah, that's for, that's for fair. Maybe. It so it, it it appears that um, the use of the use of the um, chicken manure fertilizer is not as like um endemic as as the non-compliance of the, of the poultry farms um however there's no regulation around this at all even for the abuses that are are happening um is that accurate oh, i'm trying to unpack that um i would say it's it's pretty heavily regulated actually uh the farmers have well it's, it's uh, said in your article that at the bottom that no, no farmers have been fined for. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, um, it says no, no farmers have been fined for failing to follow manure lim limits. Um, the EIP said. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So farmers are required to submit these annual uh, nutrient management plans, and so this is this is kind of where it gets a little tricky because there's context here, which is that. In the last three years, uh, Maryland has been uh, transitioning to a new uh, regulatory regimen, which is a uh, phosphorus management tool, if you've heard of that. And what, what was new here is it basically sets uh, a limit as to how much you can apply on your land and re actually requires the farmers to test their soil hmm. to say, okay, you can apply this much phosphorus and you must record it and send it to us. Well. This is all, of course, self-monitoring, which which is um, always works out well. Let's say, uh, in the uh, polluting, uh, you know, environment. But beyond that, I think what's happening is like, you know, there's there's been this grace period, uh, so that farmers can 
get used to this. And a number of them are, you know, it just went officially full implemented this past summer, like July. So uh, this were, this time period that we're talking about uh, really overlays a lot of that. So I think if there haven't been fines and penalties, I think it's because that's where we're at right now is they're trying to get their feet on the ground with this new tool. And like I said before, this uh, compliance assistance, um, if they have it on the MDE side, they're especially doing it on the um, MDA, the agricultural uh, department side. Right, right. Um, but but getting back to to the the shared issue between the poultry farmers and the farmers is that yeah. there's a real lack of regulation going on. Um, uh, I think enforcement. Right? The regulations. I mean, ours are some of the most yes. progressive in the country. I mean, maybe outside of California, they're they're really progressive. Um, again, by comparison, that doesn't mean like they couldn't go further, and that people would like them. Some many people would like them to go further, but I'm just saying. We Maryland is much further along than Virginia and, and Pennsylvania uh, mm. when it when it comes to this sort of thing. So I, I think we it's important to note that right that we're not you know bad actors in a bad system or anything like that. Uh, it's it's a more complicated system than other places and um, yeah. But the enforcement side, you could say, according to this report, um, is not. Uh, say bringing the hammer is as much as some in the environmental community would like so yeah could you talk us about um the regulators or lack thereof um mm -hmm. in the yeah in so the they have they have uh two three inspectors for this entire you know program of 500 odd poultry operations here on the maryland side alone and one of them is a supervisor so they're kind of have other tasks on their plate as well. So really two full-time people are devoted to this. Um, so I think this is where EIP would like to see some legislation or administrative action, uh, you know, to say, look, we need to beef up our, our regulatory uh, efforts here. Because, you know, obviously if you don't have inspectors uh, policing them, then, you know, you, you won't find the, it was like the early part of COVID, right? If you don't test for it, it isn't there. If you don't test for, um, you know, uh, uh, improperly, uh, you know, stored uh, chicken manure, then you're not going to find it. And, and so, no, I, I don't think anyone wants to see that happen. So, so how long has this been the case with, with just had, well, it's, it, so there's three inspectors and one of them is like a full-time right. desk employee, right. like a supervisor. Right. Guy, right. So, um, it, I know there's been recent budget cuts as of last year. Hogan cut um, a, a bunch of state workers out, and I, I wanted to know if that, if any of these people were were um, laid off as a result of that. I'm un, I'm unsure of that. Uh, according to this report, the the latest and greatest total is that is that three number, but it it hasn't changed at least until you know that period. It hadn't changed for a number of years, like it you know it's not like they had 10 you know five years ago or anything it's um yeah yeah do, do you have any, like a historical time. context about um i do not i'm sorry okay it's theorized that uh high phosphorus content in the water contributes to the, to dead zones uh what's your opinion no. of that right yeah so i don't i don't need to have an opinion here that that's what the bay program is is kind of all about right the um 
um, I appreciate the question because it's important to kind of describe. I keep saying, uh, oh, that's bad for the Bay, but uh, the, the why is that it's this overabundance of um, nitrogen, phosphorus uh, that are washing off, and, and not just agriculture. I mean, that, that's obviously an enormous source of it, but you know, people's lawns and uh, from wastewater treatment plants all contributing to uh, this overfeeding of the bay. And, you know, our bay is very shallow, it's very short, very, you know, narrow. And so it, it doesn't have a lot of dilution power. Um, you know, it's one thing for the Mississippi River, but, you know, that also has a dead zone, but it's also flowing into the Gulf of Mexico, which is, uh, you know, huge by comparison, you know, many times larger. So, uh, about a, a thousand times more diluting capacity than the Chesapeake Bay does. So these nutrients, they, they pack a big punch when they go under the bay. And I mean, it's, if it's fertilizer for your lawn and fertilizer for, you know, corn, that's what it is for the plant life in the, uh, the middle of the bay. And, and that plant life is the kind we don't like, unfortunately. It's we call the harmful algae blooms. Um, so phytoplankton eat it up. They, uh, they bloom in the summertime when they're active. And then towards the end of the summer, they die off. And as they die off, there's this chemical reaction that happens that basically uh, robs or steals the, the water of oxygen. And particularly at lower depths, because there isn't a lot of mixing with the surface where there's oxygen up there. So the lower depths in the main stem of the bay and in some of the tributaries can be called, become what's uh, called anoxic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we call it a dead zone, which makes it sound like there's zero oxygen or something, but it's, it's really just this low oxygen area. And basically anything that can't move out of the way, any fish or benthic organism like uh, crabs or oysters, they, they die in that scenario. And so really that's been used as the centerpiece of the Bay restoration since the beginning in 1983. I mean, there's a lot of things you could try to clean up for, right? You could clean up for to help rockfish or clean up to help for, you know, underwater grass meadows or oysters or whatever, but this is really kind of the main, and, and, and they do by the way, but this is really the main uh, thrust of the entire effort from the beginning is trying to get rid of or at least shrink that dead zone uh, so that we have a bay that's full of life, you know, the way we like it. So we could have oysters and crabs to eat and beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, clear water to look at. And yeah, uh, yeah. having too many, too many farms, too much phosphorus and all those other things um, obviously works, works against that. Well, right. Um, on that note, I was looking at the Bay Journal main page today, and two of the other other articles is one is the 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 dead zone is bigger this year than it was yeah. last year in 2020. Well, the dead zone it's about average. Well, it's average, but it's lasting longer, and it's lasting longer because the conditions it's it, you know staying warmer longer, thanks to climate change, and therefore. You know, so it may not have been larger than average this year, but it was, uh, if it's sticking around longer, that's not good either. So, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Right, yeah. Um, and the other one was uh, on the Western Shore, um, um, some food poisoning from oysters related yeah. to a sewage spill that wasn't I... reported or communicated about. Did you read that one too? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was awful. Um, and he didn't, for whatever reason, uh, I think you'll be reading more about this, but there was... Um, 
uh, yeah, sewage spill uh, and uh, partially treated uh, sewage, diluted but not cleaned up. And it got into this uh, tributary over there in Maryland and <clears throat> MDE didn't report it, didn't catch it right away. And by then um, these oysters had been harvested by an oyster farm and had been consumed and people got, got sick. So, uh, you know, people ask me, why don't you like raw, why don't you eat raw oysters? And I'm like, God bless you if you do, man. But I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not there for that. Oh, oh no, I, I'm with you too. And I, I've always been that outlier in my friend group. I'm like, you know, this is like kind of like literally a filter. Like, think about it. Like, yeah. Like, what, what if you washed your dishes and then ate the sponge afterwards? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think oysters are, I, I know I'm being, you know, I'm a, I'm probably being just too, uh, you know, <laughs> tough on it. Uh, but uh, 99.99% of the time, I'm sure you're fine. But it's just, you know, these cases like this pop up and the, you have a news report and you go, you see, you see. So, yeah, um, covering the restoration and covering the health of the bay. I mean, there's no one that uh, does what we at the Bay Journal do. So, when, yeah, when you look at our web, web page, uh, yeah, it's kind of a one-stop shop for you don't have to see anything they're mixed in about uh, crime or uh, uh, local politics. You know, we're we're pretty uh, pretty hev uh, heavily focused on just that one thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the, the common problem with that issue is that it was like a lack of communication or the yeah. MDE didn't communicate to the fish farm or wh whoever the authorities were that the sewage mm -hmm. leak has been. It, it took too long in, in any case, yeah. Yeah, so kind of seems like a, a similar issue where there's like a lack of personnel or lack of enforcement, um, lack of communication about what's going on to, you know, keep people from getting sick is, is mm -hmm. the common. Yeah. And again, I think this is, we, we can say it here of MDE, but you know, I've, you see stories too, I'm sure about how the USDA doesn't have enough inspectors, you know, on the production mm -hmm. lines and, uh, you know, TSA and, you know, everybody, every company, public and private, everyone's trying to skimp by because, uh, hey, we can do more with less, right? And yeah, that's true until it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Until, until new new problems uh, come up and you haven't invested anything to... Uh, or or old problems like sewage spills uh, yeah. contaminating your, your oyster uh, farm. Yeah, yeah. And then people get sick. People get yes. sick who are innocent people just wanting to enjoy oysters. You know, I'm sorry to anybody who likes oysters who, are, who I've offended. No, they should eat. They should eat oysters a lot. Those shells, those spent shells are usually just make sure they get recycled and uh, used to uh, help uh, be put back on the bottom of the bay so they can seed uh, new oyster reefs. So you're actually you eat an oyster. You're, you're probably if you eat it on the half shell you're probably doing something good for the bay. So uh, don't listen to me. Go ahead and eat your oysters. Yeah, don't, don't listen to me. You can enjoy your oysters. It's totally fine. I won't right. judge you. Right. All right. I, I think that about that about wraps it, Jeremy. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about you didn't ask about? No, uh, you know, I, uh, I live on the shore myself. Uh, so I've lived here for a decade. And um, so uh, I'm not someone from the Western shore. I mean, I, I think some of my colleagues do a great job of covering, but, you know, I actually live, breathe and eat this stuff. So uh, that's what we try to do uh, at the Bay Journals. We have people living all over. And uh, so you get kind of local coverage, even though it's a regional uh, scale publication. So uh, if, yeah, if you're folks, if I can do a little plug here to subscribe, it's for free. If you can believe it, what's free anymore. You go to baydjournal.com. You can read that all the time with no 
uh, no annoying banner ads, no uh, nothing asking you to subscribe there. But if you do want to get the print edition, uh, right in the right upper right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. You put in your uh, address, your mailing address. It'll show up in your mailbox once a month. And you, again, you, you pay zero. So not a bad deal. That's, that's Paying zero is a great deal, but donating is even better, especially hey. quality reporting like this comes out of it, which you can read and digest <laughs> for free. Okay. That is true. That is true. I, I always forget to say to donate, but uh, if you do find it in your heart, you can do that as well. And there's directions on uh, baydjournal.com as well for that. I, I, I thank all of our readers because we've been around for 30 years and it's not possible without you guys. Absolutely. That sounds beautiful. All right, Jeremy. Um, do, do you want to plug your socials or anything? Uh, yeah, I guess you could find me if you want at Jeremy underscore Cox, uh, C-O-X on the Twitter. And um, like I said, the, the, the podcast is Chesapeake Uncharted, uh, and that's Chess Uncharted, C-E-H-E-S Uncharted on, on the Twitter. You can find them on Facebook, too. Just search them there. And uh, yeah, let's keep the conversation going. It's good talking to you, Brian. All right. Good talking to you, Jeremy. Thanks, bud. All right. Thanks.